Welcome to episode 235 of Live Happy Now. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, thanking you for joining us again this week. We've all heard about the principles of visualization and manifestation, but to many of us, it might just sound a little too good to believe. So today, we're talking to a neuroscientist who guides us through the science of visualization. Dr. Tara Swart works with top executives all over the world to help them achieve mental resilience and peak brain performance. Her new book, The Source, The Secrets of the Universe, The Science of the Brain, shows how you can actively change the way your mind works and literally make your dreams come true. Tara, welcome to Live Happy Now. Thank you. I love the name. Well, I love the book (laughs) that you've written. This book is absolutely amazing because I was reading it and it's like the science version of The Secret. And I think we need that so much. And I wondered how you found that link between the practices like visualization and manifestation and neuroscience, because I think that's been missing for a lot of us. Well, first of all, thank you for saying that it's like the scientific version of the secret, because that's like a dream come true for me. So you've actually manifested something that was on my vision board. It's just that that's what people are saying. Yeah, it works. Yeah, it does. I mean, I'm convinced it does. So that's like not even a question, but it was matching up the science to it and having people accept that. And, and, and actually what's happened is that I keep getting the same piece of feedback from people. It's exact same wording, which is understanding the science compels me to action. And I couldn't get next to what you said, a better compliment than that. So for me, it's been a lifelong journey. I grew up in the UK, um, the first child of first generation Indian immigrant parents. And so my home life was you know, it was absolutely comfortable with yoga, meditation, Kriya breathing, vegetarian diet, Ayurvedic way of living. And I went to school like a regular child with all my English friends and, you know, felt that I had to keep those two parts of my life really separate. And then when I got to medical school, which, you know, Western medicine is is seen as something very different by people from India and Asia, Actually, it started to come together for me a little bit, which was quite interesting because things that my mother used to say, like what I considered old wives' tales about turmeric, that got proven by science whilst I was at medical school that it's anti-inflammatory, that it's implicated in you know, improving against bowel cancer and dementia and things like that. So little threads of things were starting to come together for me, but I still felt very much that my, the science that I was studying and the spirituality that I'd been brought up with were there wasn't much overlap between them. And it really got to a point where I had a big personal and professional change in my life that I drew on both of those things to gain resilience and transform myself. And that's when I thought everybody needs to know this and that actually there's a group of people out there who love the law of attraction, the vision board things. And there's quite a separate group of people that need science to prove things and that I could actually be the person that brings this together because that had happened in my own life for me. And that's an incredible bridge to be able to provide because I've known people who have read The Secret many, many times and they get frustrated because they say it doesn't work. You know, I've been trying, I've been trying, but it's just not working. And what your book really shows is the principles are there, but here's that next step that you have to take with it. And I think that I'm, I was probably that kind of person who, if I couldn't understand how it worked, sort of like, 
I don't know whether to say academically or scientifically, but if I couldn't really believe that it worked, it wouldn't work for me. But then because of the conflict that I had, I was doing vision boards. I've spoken to astrologers. I love crystals. I love tarot, but I would never bring that into that other my professional part of my life. Yeah. And it was actually, I realized that that was such a weakness. I, I, I feel grateful that you called me a bridge, but I feel like there was a, like a, an abyss between those two things for me. And that when I brought them together, it became much bigger than just those two things added together. Yeah. And I think that becomes apparent through reading your book and the, some of the discoveries that you've made and the, the things that you have to teach us. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. We've learned so much about the brain and how we can change it in recent years. And what really clicked for you? At what point did you realize how much we can do to train our brains? So remember, I said I went through a big personal and professional change. So let's we'll backtrack five years before that. I was living in Australia, traveling around the world with my then husband. And my oldest school friend was also living in Australia. And she said to me, you have to read this book, The Master Key System. And it's a book that was originally written as a series of, I think, newspaper columns. So it's kind of, you know, very separate chapters that kind of end in a nice, discreet way. So that is that the Charles Hannell book? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Exactly. Okay, great. And it's like from the 1920s or something. So it's yeah, quite old. It, it so is. Old. <laughs> it is. It's old. I read it and I thought it was interesting. I didn't do the exercises at the end of every chapter because I felt like I didn't really need to. I was pretty young and carefree. But I remember thinking if I ever, if something really bad happens to me, I'm not going to forget this book. And so. And there is, you know, there's something about it, I think probably because of when it was written, that it's a little bit, it's quite aligned to a certain religion. It's a bit judgmental. It's not based on any science or anything. So there were some things that could have been a bit off-putting, but I still actually thought it was really interesting. And then five years later, I decided to change career. I went from being a really senior doctor to basically being nothing at the bottom of the career pile again. And my marriage dissolved at the same time. So I remembered this book. I mean, I literally had like planted a seed in my brain. And because I'd read it before, I just did a skim read of each chapter. But each week, religiously, I did the exercises in that book until I felt like I had really, something had changed in my psyche. And so it took six months to complete. And I felt that I had a very different understanding of how my thought process dictated what my life looked like. And so I think, you know, a lot of this, New Age thinking says the way that you think determines your life. And I think a real watershed moment for me was that if that's true, which I believe it is, then cognitive science is the science that can take that to the rest of the world. So psychology and neuroscience are to do with how you think. And so I started looking into, I started just researching the laws of attraction and seeing like how much modern cognitive science could I apply to the laws of attraction. And I was just blown away by the fact that pretty much all of it could be explained. And there are certainly a few areas where I thought, okay, there isn't a current scientific explanation for this, but there were so few that I ended up saying, if you have to be you know, 100% based on science, don't do these few little things. But if you feel like everything else makes sense and there are a couple of things here that aren't going to harm you, then you might as well do them as well. And you know, really picked apart the science of vision boards, which I call action boards, because I believe that you have I to- I love that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, it's too much, you know, like another criticism of The Secret, which is that you fantasize about your ideal life and then you work, wait on, you know, for the checks to roll in kind of thing. I didn't want to give that sort of message. I wanted it to be much more about you have agency to change your life. 
So what do you see as the, the thing that we get wrong when we're trying to train our brains and, and when we're, we use vision boards or visualization, things like that, but what is the piece that we're missing in training our brains? Well, I don't think it's so much a case of what we're getting wrong. I think it's just the advances in sophisticated scanning technologies have taught us so much more about neuroplasticity, which is the ability of the brain to change itself well into adulthood. And so some of us, well, all of us thought for a long time, and some of us still think just because it was something we believed for a long time, that your brain is pretty much fixed by the time you get to 18 and that there's not much that you can do to change it. What we know now through brain scanning is that the brain is actively molding and shaping itself in response to everything that you experience, every smell, every emotion, every memory, every person that you meet until we're about 25. And that from 25 to 65, you can do things to keep your brain more flexible or what in science speak we say plastic or plasticity. And that actually, if you start by your late 30s to early 40s, you could even do things to prevent the inevitable cognitive decline that can start around the age of 70. So I think just knowing that there's that power of plasticity in the brain is a really good start. And, you know, that's one of the messages that I'm trying to spread. And then just So that gives you some agency over your life. And then if you think about something like a vision board, for example, the science that helps us to really understand that is that we're bombarded with so much information all day, every day. And, you know, I said earlier that the brain is molded and shaped by this. And so do you want to just let your brain be shaped by everything that you experience? Or do you want to have a bit more influence over what you expose your brain to, to shape it in a positive way, to create the outcomes that you want? So There are processes called selective attention, selective filtering, and value tagging. And so the brain naturally filters out some of the things that it doesn't consider to be essential to our survival. And that happens without us really being conscious of it. Like sports. We're like, yeah, I don't need no sports (laughs) scores. Whereas a man might be like, I really need to know those batting averages. I'm with you on that one. And then obviously (laughs) they feel the same about shoes and handbags, I guess. (laughs) So... Yeah, so we then pay attention to the things that have been allowed to filter through and we tag them in order of importance. If you do something like visualization or creating a vision board, or even if you've just, you know, really set an intention for what you want in life, then your brain is primed to notice and grasp opportunities that might otherwise have passed you by because you're busy with the day job, paying the bills, putting food on the table, just trying to live your life. And, you know, maybe you haven't allowed the time to take that control to prime your brain for certain things and not other things. And then, you know, you you started off by asking about how we train our brains. There is a bit of a process for creating sustainable behavior change, and that's raising from non-conscious to conscious what it is that you want, which we've, we've kind of discussed, and then focusing attention on opportunities in your life to make a difference. And then doing deliberate practice of the new behavior or the action that's going to get you towards, you know, the reality that you wish to create and then being held accountable. And when you learn how to do that, because it's, it's not something you just have to use on something big. It's not a technique that only applies to the big things. So how does it improve your life when you learn that technique and start really learning how to train your brain? I think that understanding it's a physiological process and it's not really intangible definitely has been a game changer for me and my clients. So I work with a lot of people who are very successful at the technical job, but 
struggle with emotional intelligence or managing people. And so when I explained to them that the sorts of things they've been given feedback about, like you need to be more motivated and inspiring, you need to understand the impact that you're having on people, they don't know what to do about that. But if you say it's a physical process of building up that pathway in your brain and, you know, I can give you some milestones to work towards on that pathway, then they can do that. So I think a lot of it is that the science makes you feel like you're more in control and that what you need to do is doable. And, and, you know, like I said, a lot of people say just understanding the science makes me think, okay, I'll try meditation, I'll try a vision board. But then also, you know, I've given very practical tools for actually what you do to try to create the life that you want, which is visualization, vision boards or, or action boards, you know, some exercises to overturn negative thinking and sort of just think in a more abundant way, practice more gratitude, all of those things that bring better things into our life because so much of life is the perspectives and filters that we see life through. And are there any aspects of our brain that are more difficult to train or retrain, shall I say? Yeah, so I think this is quite individual. We know from the science that the parts of the brain that are to do with laying down memories obviously have the most neuroplasticity. So there are three physiological forms for neuroplasticity. And one is myelination, which is coating neural pathways with an insulating layer that makes transmission along them faster. And that can happen pretty much anywhere in the brain. And then there's synaptic connection, which is when mature neurons connect up with each other to form these neural pathways. And that can happen pretty much anywhere in the brain. But I mean, it does slow down if you don't keep learning and embracing new things, but the ability is there. Neurogenesis where embryonic cells become fully grown neuronal cells, as far as we know, only occurs around the hippocampus in the adult brain. But, you know, to be honest, if you just think about the last 40 years, things that were considered science fiction 40 years ago are science now. So I'm, you know, I'm very hopeful for for the future. But I think at the moment, the reason I wrote the book and the reason that I really wanted to speak with you is because there's a lot of neuroscience research that isn't enough out in the public domain so that everybody can have that chance to train their brain, change the way that they think, bring good things into their life. And, you know, I just want as many people as possible to hear about this. Yeah, because you make it really accessible. Whereas someone, if you said, I want you to read this book on neuroplasticity and how it's going to affect your behavior, they'd say no. (laughs) I know. But (laughs) yours makes it really like it's broken down, you know, without talking down it's it really helps you understand the process. Well, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to even like have that conversation with with you and your listeners because I spoke at a conference yesterday and for the first time ever I got this feedback where people said when they were doing the introduction and they were saying neuroscientist medical doctor faculty at MIT Sloan I just thought and several people said this I just thought oh no I'm, I'm not going to you know this isn't going to be for me. <laughs> I need to go get some coffee right now. (laughs) Thank goodness they gave me a chance and they did listen. And that's why actually one of the things about the cover of the book being so beautiful is that it attracts people that I don't think would read a book if they thought it, they knew it was a neuroscientist. (laughs) You're right. Yeah. It doesn't look like a science book at all. No. That's fantastic. (laughs) You, You know, one thing that you talk about is how we as a society move from being to doing and from emotions to logic. So to start with, can you talk about what's caused that change? 
Yeah, so it's what I call the cognitive revolution, which started with the spark. I mean, it's my favorite pun, you know, like spark your neurons, <laughs> spark a <of> fire. <laughs> Basically, when we lived on the savannah, like around the same time as dinosaurs are still there, we were like no more special or different to many other animals on the planet. We couldn't speak. And so, you know, we didn't have the large cortex that we have on the outer layer of our brain that allows articulated speech and being able to predict and plan for the future and live in, you know, tribes of 150 or more. So what happened? Well, we don't know what happened. We think that either a spark of fire was created by accident and we we learned to control it and then we were able to cook meat. So we were able to digest protein much more efficiently and then our guts shrank and the cortex part of the brain grew or we naturally evolved for the cortex to grow and then we were able to make tools, control fire, cook meat, etc. Either way, around that time, we went from being not the most successful animal on the planet to suddenly having huge skills and capabilities that put us ahead of every other animal on the planet. And so until then, we'd been very instinctual, we'd been emotive, you know, primal basically. And once we could speak, that was the direct message that you got. That was the easiest form of communication. So you didn't bother so much with body language. And you certainly, we know, we certainly over millennia forgot about some of these primal hormonal interactions that we have with each other. So, you know, a classic example is how women that live or work together synchronize their menstrual cycles. And Mm -hmm. there's lots of evolutionary explanations for why that needed to be. And, you know, one of them is that in the cave where the men hunted and lived nomadically sometimes were away from the cave for six months or never came back to the cave that the alphas had to impregnate four or five women before they left the cave to ensure that at least one of their set of genes would survive because you know in those days a lot of pregnancies were miscarried or stillborn and then even if two were born one would get eaten by a wolf or you know three were born one would die of hypothermia so it took about five to make sure that reproduction of the genes was was you know going to happen and of course, now that's not really needed anymore. But, <laughs> it's but a lot still, easier now. <laughs> it's a lot easier now. But, you know, so some of those things stick. So it's interesting because we talk about neuroplasticity and say there's so much that we can change. But it's also quite shocking how some things haven't changed over like millions of years. So and that's where I think I just feel like I find so much comfort and ease with these major conflicts that some of us hold on to in our life. So for me, it was that my cultural heritage and spirituality didn't go with being a scientist and a doctor. And, you know, even the fact that you said, oh, the book definitely doesn't look like it's written by a neuroscientist. It's kind of like, well, why shouldn't science and beauty go together? It's, but we have these stereotypes. And, and so I think neuroscientists particularly have become, had to become really comfortable with saying the way that we thought the brain worked, well, actually we've just found out that that's not the case. And, and both the fact that, you know, just that lovely sort of balance of, yes, there's a lot that you can do to change your brain, but it's also worth understanding that a lot of the ways that we were haven't changed. And so to come back to your question, once we could predict and plan for the future, once we could speak, those things got put on a pedestal and things like being emotional and, and accessing your intuition that we'd relied on up until that point we decided that they were no longer important. And that's what I'm, you know, when I say we've gone from being to doing, if you go on to the next sort of revolution that happened, the agricultural revolution, 
we had to work really hard to create the fields of wheat that we use to make bread to support larger families. But before that, we used to walk around barefoot in nature. We used to sit around the campfire with our tribe at night. We used to look at the stars and the sky. You know, the reason that we have to do formal mindfulness, things like meditation and yoga now is because we no longer walk around barefoot in nature or like, you know, savor things like stars or we don't even like pay attention to the people that we say we love the most because we're scrolling on our phone the whole time. <laughs> exactly. So as we've made these changes, what you're talking about can really bring us back, kind of reset us back to that natural state of, of being. I hope that at least it will make people think about it and, and, and just challenge their own thinking a bit about whether they have gone too far down a road of being a workaholic, over-exercising, looking at social media, whatever it is, you know, it's, it's all about kind of just taking that step back and thinking, is my life exactly as I always dreamed it would be, or should I be doing something differently? I think what your book does a beautiful job of is saying, so maybe if you haven't got that life that you dreamed about when you were 20, that doesn't mean it's too late to, to start working on that life. Like you can still do it. You still have the wherewithal to start, you know, getting your brain to, to work in that direction. I mean, absolutely from two points of view, personal and scientific. So the neuroscience absolutely supports that that is the case, that our ability to change our brains, change our thoughts, our behaviors, and therefore our actions and what happens in our life is very, very much more malleable than we ever thought. So, you know, the untapped potential in our brain is huge. And personally, I would say that, you know, I was in my mid thirties when I woke up and I thought, when I was at high school, everyone said to me, you're so smart, you should go to medical school. And then when I was at medical school, everyone said, you're so smart, you should also do a PhD. And so I just did what everyone suggested that I should. And I loved being a doctor, but I woke up one day in my mid-30s and thought, if I'm so smart, I should be able to do whatever I want to do. And I've never thought about what I want to do. So oh, as wow. far as, yeah, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, my life started in my mid-30s. That's terrific. I bet there's a lot of people that are like, that's great news. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. So, so if people, as they're listening and they're saying, well, yeah, I want, I want some of that. And, you know, we'll tell them how to buy your book, but what can they do right now today to start putting into practice some of this and, and start training their brains to capture the things that they really want out of life? I'm going to go with two different angles on this. So if, if you really said I had to pick one actual thing that people would go away and do, I would say make an action board. You've mentioned the book. So there is a chapter that has a theory about why it works and an entire chapter on how to make it, where, where to place it, how often to look at it, you know, what to do, that kind of thing. If I could be a bit more general about what could people do to set themselves up to train their brain to change their life, I would say have a good hard look at these things, which are rest, fuel, hydrate, oxygenate, and simplify. So basically, are you putting your body in peak physical condition to allow optimal mental performance? And so basically, if you're not sleeping seven to nine hours a night, if you're not eating a high quality, nutrition dense diet, drinking enough water, being mobile, and bringing some form of mindfulness into your life, then you can't really expect your brain to do wonders for you. So, and I, I always say, don't try to take on one big change, like take on 
10 micro changes. So I like that. Things like drink an extra glass of water each day, walk a thousand extra steps each day, go to bed half an hour earlier each day. Start with those things. If everything else feels like too much, but then as soon as you feel physically ready, I would say the vision board has been the most life-changing thing that I've ever done. That's fantastic. You've given us so much insight with this. I, I can't tell you how interesting it is to be able to sit down and read this book and see, again, the secret presented as a science <laughs> methodology. So thank you so much for bringing that to our attention and for sitting down and talking with me today. No, thank you so much. I love it that you've loved the book and that you've given me this opportunity to speak with your listeners. That was Dr. Tara Swart, author of The Source, The Secrets of the Universe, The Science of the Brain. To learn more about Tara, her new book, or how to follow her on social media, please visit us at livehappynow.com and we'll give you links and more information. We hope you're already a subscriber to Live Happy Now, but if you're not, you can find us on the Pandora Podcast Network, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play. Just look for us on your favorite platform and hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. That is all we have time for this week. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one. Happy one.